Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast, episode 319. Joining us this week, our good friend, the creator of the Lacey and Lily comics franchise, creator of Holidays Comics. You know him. Our good friend, Dave Delachase, is back on the show. It's been such a long time. Uh, so very excited to talk to him. Uh, also this week, we're going to talk about a little bit of Olympic fatigue. Uh, we're going to talk about the 40th anniversary of MTV. I feel very old. Uh, we're going to talk about the passing of legendary inventor, television personality, Ron Pope Heel. Uh, we'll do history lessons and uh, and all the other stuff you guys love so much. That and so much more, folks, on this week's episode of the Uticast. Also, big news. Big news for me. And the show, I guess. But we'll get to that in just a moment. It's the Uticast, episode 319. Oh, yes. Top of the week, beautiful Monday. Uh, we are back, episode three nineteen. Yes, I mentioned joining us this week, our good friend Dave Delachase, who I love talking with. Huge mm. nerd, but I mean that in a good way. Big giant nerd, just like me. As a nerd, you as, that, as a nerd. I say that as a nerd. It's okay if I call him that. It's always good to have somebody to be in league with. <laughs> yeah, someone. Yeah, great conversation. Love talking to Dave. We did talk a bit about the superhero burnout that people might be feeling, about all the superhero properties that are mm. out there in the world to indulge in. Hmm. Uh, but not too much. We didn't get like too old manny and yelling at the at the wind about it or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. We both like comic book stuff, so we're I think we're the target audience for stuff like this anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm probably one of those people who's a little more towards the middle where like I don't have much ex- no experience like growing up with comic books yeah. outside of like what you catch through childhood. But certainly plenty exposed to it in the culture now. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so yeah, great conversation with Dave. Talking about the second season of uh, Lacey and Lily coming out uh, later this year. Very excited. Uh, Also this week, well, let's just get into some of the stuff this week. Uh, I'll do some updates here for you guys. Because it's been a while. I feel like I haven't brought it up. Oh, the ear. My ear. What's going on with my ear? Can I hear again? Am I not deaf anymore? (laughs) Uh, the answer to this is yes, I am, my hearing is mostly back, hey, it feels like. congratulations. Yeah, it's been a big week for good news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so my hearing is mostly back. I mm-hmm. went to the ear doctor, and they said, hard to explain without a visual aid for the folks out there, but essentially, the hole I had in my eardrum was in the center of my eardrum, not connected to, like, the, the outside. Right. And that means that it had a better, it has a a better chance of healing on its own. Right. Right, so good news for me on that. So I probably won't have to have, like, some weird ear patch surgery, which yeah, I was yeah, sort of... You don't have any ear patch surgery. Well, they told me that was the thing that could happen. Like, if they're like, yeah, we might have to just go in there and put a little patch on it. I'm like, that seems... Please don't. Please don't do that. That doesn't no. seem good at all. I mean, do. If you have to, <laughs> you know, get right in there. But are you sure? Yeah, uh, so my hearing is back. Love to see it. Uh, so that's number one, first piece of good news this week. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm not going to get too far into it, but I got some very good news today. I would say life-changing news for me, yeah, personally. Is for it fair sure. to call it like life 
I think that's fair. And career-changing news. Career-changing is Life probably. and career-changing, yeah, yeah. Life and career-changing news. Positive news for me today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I thought a couple things about it, right? So mm-hmm. I have some thoughts about it. We won't get into the, the huge details. Read between the lines. Read between the lines, yeah. Uh, so I feel like a lot of existential dread that I was having was lifted very quickly. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes when you feel like things are... You feel like your existential dread for folks who have that out there is going to lift sometimes in various things that happen in your life. Like something good will happen, you're like, oh, maybe that existential dread will lift. Mm-hmm. I paid this bill. I, whatever it is. Sure, I mean, whatever, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did something. I did something, right? And it never does. You're like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. So when it happened for me today, I was like, oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> see, I didn't think that was going to happen this morning. Yeah. So now I feel like I can sort of think about things that I had been not thinking about for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. I can start addressing, like, adult concerns that I feel like I had been foregoing. Hmm. Like, I need to start thinking about getting a new car. And hmm. maybe I can think about not having to go buy, like, a used car. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. some some or old... at least even a more gently used a car. A more gently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's something that just came back off a lease, as yeah. opposed to something that just came back off something that just came back off a lease. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and even the idea, like, I know, like, a lot of my friends casually look at like houses and stuff like people be looking at you know land and houses and i've always said well i'm not in that conversation that that conversation doesn't exist for me mm. and i'm like hey you know what land land is nice and i'm mm. making any more of it maybe i'll get myself some land see so there, so there you go also i think maybe it means i'll go back to the gym now because i've been sort of foregoing the gym because i've been kind of down mm. for like the last week and a half seems like that's the opposite way it should go right like if you're down you should go to the gym you that's think what gym so. people say I when I'm down and I'm not feeling good, uh, I feel like I don't have the motivation to get it going. No, you have to go punish yourself. <laughs> punish myself. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speak to the Catholics about it. They got it all figured um, out. Yeah, you just got to go punish yourself. So I guess you guys can figure. I got a new job. Essentially, is what's going on here. Uh, but uh, I mean, you figured that out. Uh, but um, you know, I think that I didn't want to go to the gym because it was tough for me to like. It felt like a waste of time for me to be doing that instead of like finding a job. Does that what you know what I'm saying? Like if I'm sitting around at like two I'm like, these are hours in the middle of the day that I could be doing something else. Not that I did anything else in those hours that I didn't go to the gym, mind. No, you. because I see that the taking care of yourself is even more important than taking care of like a career. That comes very first. <laughs> yeah, no, get out there and handle handle them weights, chuck some bars around, you know. Bar it up. Need to bar it up. Uh so yeah. Uh, now, I have had some thoughts about what this job and the increase in my workload will mean for this podcast. Mm. Don't know exactly what that means just yet. Not sure. Haven't come to any major conclusion. I still don't, I still like doing the show, which is the most important part, I think, right? right? Like, I think that's always been the key, but I still enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. And I will say, over the last few weeks, we've kind of gotten into... We've gotten back into the swing of doing very long interviews. Mm-hmm. I had sort of purposely started trimming them down to about... 40 minutes for a while. Right. I think right as people were coming back from the pandemic because I wanted to get people in the studio and I feel like when people are in studio it sometimes it's quick when people are in the studio because they don't sure. they don't know me they don't want to just come mm-hmm. to a random person's house. Uh, but yeah so I think maybe as it goes on the show will just continue on with maybe a longer interview and make that that's always mm-hmm. kind of been the centerpiece of the show anyway is for someone sure. else's interview right so mm-hmm. and then the rest of the show you know we'll keep doing the way we're doing. I think that's where I'm at at this particular moment on Monday at 2.30. But you know me. Well, there you go. <laughs> pull, pull your curtain all the way back. Yeah. Expose yourself to the world. Well, 
you know, get in trouble for that now. Uh, or any time. Or any time, yeah. I hate people like now. Now, no, yeah, no, now. That was always, that's always been frowned upon, actually. It's not uh, just, like, the governor's fault or whatever. <laughs> uh, also, though, this is just another side. This is just me as a person. I realized something today. You know, a lot of people were waiting to hear if I was going to get this news that I got today. Right? Mm. So I had to call a couple of these people, my family in particular, sure. and deliver this news. I don't think that I am good at delivering good news. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, I don't know. Like, I'm not the kind of guy who's like, guess what happened to me today, fellas? Hey, hey, you know, like, that's not my scene. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to hope that people find out eventually. <laughs> right. Me? Right. You, know you got to just put it on the wire. You know who you got to call. Like, you call, like, your mom. You call, like, the certain people who you get know are going to get yeah. it out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pass it out into the group. That's the fine. move. When you have to get, like... Back before, you could just send group texts out to people when you had to get information out to yeah. like large groups like family. That's what you got to do. You got certain people. You just put it on the wire. They make their calls. This is a very particular thing, and I'll, and I'll end here on this story, and we'll just get into the rest of the show. Uh, I When you're looking for jobs, especially in the education world, there's a couple websites you have to go to. Right, You have to go to one particular website. It's not a secret. It's called OLAS. It's like a teacher website where you go and you look for teaching jobs. Mm. Right? And then you also generally go to whatever school district you're interested in and go to their specific school district website. Mm-hmm. And they have like unemployment they have like employment opportunities on their websites. And they're not always sometimes they're the same, but sometimes they're not the same. So you tend to always have these things open. Mm-hmm. So I feel like for the last two months, I have had like eight tabs open on my desktop mm-hmm. every day that I had to you know what I mean like just these same eight tabs looking at the same jobs. Looking at the same listings, looking at the same, like, hoping for something to change on it. Mm. And today was the first day I've been able to go in and close out all those tabs and be like, I don't need to open these tabs again mm. right now. Yeah, yeah. And that's a really small, weird thing to be, like, excited about, to close out your tabs. No, I mean, that's, I think that's super relatable. What do you mean, small and weird? Everybody's <laughs> like, got tabs. No, I know, but it's like... Tabs? Everybody's got laptop anxiety. So it was really nice to close like five computer tabs for the first time in months today. It was a weird little moment of like, yeah, close these out. Now I can just have NPR and the ringer up instead of like, you know, well, whatever I'm reading <laughs> yeah, at the moment, yeah. in the morning, you know, yeah, I read sure. other things besides those two things. Oh, okay. I do. See, I, I subscribe right. to things. Oh, hit dog hollers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into some, uh, some other things this week. Uh, you notice we haven't talked about the Olympics at all. I think I've reached a state that a state of Olympic fatigue. What I was talking I said about last week. Yeah, it's about what done. I said last week, everybody gets burned out at the beginning. <laughs> you burned right out at the beginning. It's week two. You're like still. Uh, you know what? I got a couple people in my family who are into it, which is nice because they keep me sort of engaged now. My, mm-hmm. my aunt's really into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I feel myself not being as excited to turn it on in the morning and see what's going on. I really do think though. We talked about it maybe last week. The time difference is tough. Because you know it happened already the night before, and if you go on any sports site, it's probably telling you the highlights of what's happened before you're going to see it. So you're mm-hmm. less, like, interested in the result if I already know who won, right? Sure. Like, I guess that's why you like a uh, a Western Hemisphere Olympics if you're going to watch problem, it. My problem is that I have no, there's no context. It's just, like, stream of consciousness. Like, oh, here's an event. Here's another thing. Like, you just turn around. It's like, oh, they're swimming, and now they're running yeah. and now they're you know shooting a bow and arrow and which is all fine and good but it's just like random stuff that happens with devoid of context yeah. uh so yeah i think i'm pretty much done with the olympics for now unless anything sort of accidentally catches my eye i'm not like uh, i'm not as pursuant of it as uh, i was last be back. Week. i mean at the end 
start getting maybe the track and field starting to come back around now. It looks like, which I like. Next week you'll be doing Olympic Palooza. Olympic Palooza, yeah, all the Olympic events. Uh, so just a quick piece of actual news. Mm-hmm. You've been wearing a mask again. We going out in public? Where? Just no. in general? No, no. not yet. Mm-mm. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of people starting to wear them again now in yeah, public. I feel like I'm should be courteous. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever people want to do. I'd... I haven't seen any signs go back up yet when I go to places yet, which is kind of what I'm waiting for. I'll be happy to put. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to wait till they put the sign back. Yeah, up. I'll wait for a specific directive. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah I'm here. What we gonna do? <laughs> uh, and then just a real small nuanced moment of my life. I ruined a pot this week mm. in our house. I uh, I was making macaroni and cheese a couple days ago. And I put the water on to boil, and I went out to do something else. Huh. Right? So I go out to do something else, and I wasn't paying attention, and I come back, and all the water has boiled out of the pot. And now it's just sitting there on the stove. Oh. Right? Yeah. So the water's gone, but now it's got this disgusting, like, weird colored metal to it that I can't clean off. Like, I've yeah. stained the metal, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's fine. Right? Right. But it just looks terrible now. It looks disgusting. So I've ruined this pot. So this morning, I was like, all right, I'm going to make something in it and see what the deal is. Right? Mm-hmm. So I made another mac and cheese. Return to the scene of the crime. Return to the scene of the crime. Uh-huh. I see. And now as I'm doing this, I'm getting ready to go in for this, this second interview this morning. Mm-hmm. So I'm like getting ready and I'm cleaning up the house and I'm doing this. And I realize as I'm finishing up, I've left the macaroni and cheese that's finished on the pot too long. So now I get back mm. and all the macaroni is stuck to the to the bottom of the pot, which I've now already ruined. So I double ruined the pot. So I think I have to go buy us a new sauce pot. Is the, the um, I mean, then I guess in the case of full disclosure, uh, when I came up today and this morning, and I, I woke up, I was around, you had left very early for the yeah. interview, the stove was on. Oh, yes. And I was like, oh, the stove is on. What's going on here? It's hot in here. And I saw the heat He's rough, up the stove. The, I, was, I was running so out. I don't think you should buy any pot or touch any pots. No, no more <laughs> pots. That's true. Cold cuts for you. So, hey, ooh, hey. <laughs> Uh, so there you go. Worse. So I ruined a pot this morning, and I, and I almost burned the house down. Well, at Even least back. you know. I mean, almost. It's a good thing about not. That's a good thing about the electric burner. If it was gas burner, who knows? I feel like you'd be more inclined to not forget a gas burner's off though, because there's a full yeah, on. Wouldn't you think? <laughs> you know, there's a full on <laughs> flame on it, right? Uh, that was what we had when I was a kid, by the way. The full on mm-hmm. flame style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always had those coils. The coils. I, was a kid. I remember my brother climbed up when we were little kids, and he was like too young, and like he, you know, went in oh, the yep. kitchen sometimes. Yep. Toddler gets away or whatever, and he put his hand on it, and he had like a circle burn from the coil. My mom has this in her house, and she's not the only person who has it. Miss me with the the full flat like glass top. The worst. I don't like it. The worst. I care. I, I don't. I don't trust it. Absolutely worst. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I can't. I don't know. I'm not here. It for doesn't it. really transfer heat well or hold heat well. It's no. tough to get a pan nice and hot. And there's yeah. a lot of stuff when you want to cook, you have to get a hot pan. All right, let's get into some uh, some news, quote unquote. From yeah, this yeah. Week. What's uh, new? Uh, well, this week, this is not even really, this almost became a history lesson, but I guess it's a big story. It's the 40th anniversary this week of MTV. 40 years ago, MTV came into the pop, uh, popular lexicon. Can you remember the first music video? There's like a fact everyone talked about. The first music video that was ever played. Uh, the video killed the radio. Started by the Bangles. The Buggles, the but buggles, yes. Yeah, the Buggles. The Buggles, the Bugles. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that was always historically the very first song. Uh, I thought it was interesting. It was initially only, uh, cost $25 million to start MTV. And at the very beginning, they only had 250 videos to work with during the first year that it was on the air, which doesn't seem like very much if you think about it, just when it was, when it was just music videos all day long. Uh, Kev, what's your defining memory of MTV? 
for someone in our age range? Oh, man. Um, defining, it'd be hard to say, but maybe, maybe like that peak TRL time when I was in like sixth, seventh, yeah. eighth, ninth grade. Like, I really cared about watching like the VMAs. VMAs. And was really into like, you know, all that stuff and getting into shows. When I was that age and growing into MTV, it seemed like it was like for older kids. You know what I yes. mean? Like I felt like yeah. when I was watching stuff like The Real World maybe and some of the other stuff that was there and like seeing these bands that maybe I heard about on other shows or knew like I saw older kids being into or something like that, it seemed really, um, I don't know, like an access to like yeah. this, this counterculture, this whatever as you're getting getting older in that age. I want to say that both MTV and Nickelodeon are owned by Viacom, like overarchingly. Correct. Uh and I do feel like there is sort of a strange, like, Nickelodeon to MTV transition, the way that, like, guys like you and me transitioned from, like, R.L. Stein to Stephen King. Mm. Right? Like, it felt like there was sort of a natural pathway between, like, watching Nickelodeon and then sort of becoming someone who watched MTV in high school. Yeah, Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, it does. Um, I do think Real World, nice, nice call out on that, too, because I was going to say, I feel like the Real World, now in hindsight, I don't know, know that people talk about it as much, but I mm-hmm. feel like I loved the Real World for a couple of years. Yeah, I my first memory of like watching that show, I remember being young, and it was when they were in Miami, and I think the people Miami. were doing, like, there was like a threesome going on in the shower, and Yo. like some of the roommates were spying on it, and me at like that young age, I was just like, whoa. Scandalous television. I'm like, this is like, <laughs> people are... Really? You know what I mean? Like, that's that's crazy. It just seemed like such a, a, a grown-up world to me as a very young kid. I remember New Orleans was a big year for me. Mm. Come on, be my baby tonight. That guy. That was a good year. Um, I also feel like MTV had a, a really good, and when I say good, I mean good in air quotes, batch of, like, terrible reality dating shows and stuff like Room Raiders and, like, Next. And a lot of, like, weird dating mm-hmm. shows that would pop, like, outrageous, like, zeitgeisty shows that mm-hmm. I remember laughing at in, like, high school. And, yeah, I mean, I actually still like the idea of a music video. I wish music videos were, like, still... I guess they all moved to YouTube now, right? It's all Yeah, YouTube people kind of make it, but you just can't get the same budget because there's not really the same return on your investment yeah. anymore. There's easier ways to get your new artist music out and across than the video format. Also, I love True Life. Remember True Life? Yeah. You know, True Life was yeah, a low-key... Loki jam. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like MTV lost some relevance for me in college or when I went to need. I feel like I don't know exactly when uh, the TRL thing kind of burned out, but like, I guess just getting, younger, younger than get, that. Younger it than it that. got worse. It changed too. Yeah. It wasn't the same thing. And like, everybody got older and the music of the youth was no longer your music. This was uh, from USA Today. Here's just a quick list of some of the iconic music videos uh, that were brought to the air through MTV. Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, iconic music video. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about Rio by Duran Duran? A bunch Yo. of Duran Duran guys on a boat. Great song. I actually do like that song. Uh, another Duran Duran, A View to a Kill. You know, you wonder, too, like in this era, you probably just could have sent your music video in and taken a shot. If they only had 250 mm. music videos and they're desperate for content, if you could make a music video... Could you just send it in and take it a shot? You couldn't make it, though. Couldn't make it, It's right? not like it is today yeah. where you can just fire up a couple of phones and a GoPro and, like, pop it into, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, Paranoid Android, Radiohead on this list. I don't know if I remember that music video. It's animated. Animated? Yeah, is that it's the, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. should watch it. It's, uh, it's a wild video. Get Your Freak On, Missy Elliott, Missy Elliott classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toxic, Britney Spears, a video I very much remember. I remember mm-hmm. all the Britney Spears videos. Those sort of felt like... Uh, big events when they would premiere like a new yeah they would, make, they would make it a huge event yeah they would always do like the release special the making of they would always making the video shows back then 
Justin Timberlake, Cry Me a River. Remember that music video? Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about Timberland again later on, but he was in that video, was he not, Timberland? Mm -hmm. And then Rihanna, Shut Up and Drive. No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't working with him. No, he wasn't doing that one? Maybe he was, I think he was on it, but I don't think he was in the Who video. Who was rapping at the end of that song? I know, I think he's in it, but I don't think he's in the video. He's in the track, but I don't right, think he's right, right, right. in the video. Yeah, so there you go, MTV. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, like, sad for MTV. I don't wish it was, like, back to normal. I don't, you know what I mean? I think like, one of these streaming services is uh, has got, like, a lot of the old MTV content. I don't know, it was, like, Paramount Plus or whoever mm -hmm. like that. But that's a pretty good get. Like, that's a... Yeah. I mean, interesting pitch being like hey this is the back catalog we have is all this kind of mtv and nickelodeon stuff uh let's see entertainment well sticks entertainment news just a quick shout out to bob odenkirk who's back on the mend after suffering a small heart attack earlier this week uh collapsing on the set of better call saul the star h58 mm -hmm. says he's doing better and thanks everybody for all the kind words hope he's doing okay love bob love bob odenkirk yeah the yeah. man uh, I mean, we could talk about the Scarlett Johansson Black Widow thing, but I kind of don't care. What happened? Uh, she's suing Disney because she didn't make as much money as she could have because they didn't distribute it directly to theaters and her money was tied up in, like, the back end. Oh, good for her. Burn it down. Well, that's the thing that makes me laugh. Disney's argument was essentially this lawsuit. This is what Disney said. The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Essentially, like, you didn't pay me what my contract was. You're really going to say this now mm. during the COVID pandemic? Uh, total side note. Yeah, uh, pass on that. Yeah, total side note. Disney parks are requiring face masks again as the COVID crisis surges. So you still can go to a Disney park right now, by the way, during COVID, even mm. though they're mad that about her taking advantage of this time. I Seems see. very disingenuous to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's enough of that story for me. I really don't care enough about any more of that. Same. Uh, all right. Uh, I'll give you one big energy story one diego maradona big energy story which we haven't done in a while but this one made me laugh this one actually goes all the way back to 2004 uh and this week's big energy award goes out to former milwaukee bucks coach jason kidd former nba all-star who reportedly punished center thon maker uh because he sent a group chat to the team in 2014 however thon maker had an android phone uh and the other players had iphones which caused Thon Maker to miss the group chat. Kid was mad and made the entire team run sprints because the Android was an example of the team not being united. Mm. <laughs> what kind of example did it send about being united when Jason Kidd beat his wife? That's what I want to know. Because um, people don't forget. So, Apple purist, Jason Kidd, wife beater. <laughs> I don't know. It seems a little rigid. These people are living their lives a little rigid. I love the pettiness of it. It's like, I sent this. You didn't get oh, Android. You're not. You guys aren't united. It's like, what? Really? What? I love the energy here. Big energy for this clown. Good work, Jason Kidd. Uh, all right. That's it. Let's get to this week's interview with our good friend. It's been a long time since we had him on the show. I didn't do my research on when he was on last, but it's been a while. So mm -hmm. a lot to talk about with our good friend, Dave Delachase, including the second uh, season uh, second version. I don't know. What do you call the second of a graphic novel? It's not season. It's Is like it second edition? volume. Volume. Yeah, maybe volume. Second volume of Lacey and Lily Seems coming like, out. Seems like a question should have chucked in that interview. I think we did. <laughs> I think we did. I think we did. I swear. Uh, Lacey and Lily coming out later this year. Plus, we talk about a lot of other stuff, including uh, superhero fatigue, his time back on TV covering for everyone's favorite Jason Paulus while he was on vacation. So he was back on TV. Uh, and then we, of course, are letting our questions. So here we go. Uh, Dave Elichick.
don't hear the uh, analogy you made, but uh, what's interesting is I think about this all the time as a human being. Dave Delachase, our good friend, is back, by the way, for folks before I just start digging into some story. And now I'm, I'm 35 years old, which for some folks out there seems old. For some folks, it seems young, depends on who you are and, and what you're getting at, right, in life. Uh, but I do sort of feel as I get into this mid-30s period, and I wonder if there's some context here, I feel like a little bit of a man out of time. I feel like I am, and I'm sure this happens to everybody. Everyone feels like they belong in the generation, like 10 years ahead of where they actually are. And I just wonder if that's something, did you come to have any point in time when you were getting into your 30s when you were like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I probably, you know, went, you know, had that. I think we all do. You know, there's, sometimes it's just a time period that we're sort of like enamored with in yeah. general or, or we relate to. You know, there's, you can't describe it. You just feel like a connection to a certain time period and so all of a sudden your mind goes to like, oh. Should have been, I should have been born in this era. I should have been. I should have been alive then. And you know, I, I used to always say that with like the, um, with like the 1940s. You 1940s. Know, I, I used to always be like, you know, I should have been. I should have been in the 1940s. But then of course, you know, uh, I look at them like I, I really like the internet. I really like <laughs> not having polio. I really yeah. like, you know, the, yeah. the, you know, not being in the midst of a world war. Yeah. Um, so I'm, ho- I'm glad that none of my kids have been pulled off by wolverines or bandits or have gotten like uh, dysentery anytime recently. Well, I have one of my <laughs> one of my kids. One of my one of my daughters is really into. Um, these these uh, picture book versions of Little House on the Prairie. Hell yeah! She's, she's five, <laughs> and she's really into these right now. And so she is is having her first uh, um, case of, uh, oh, I wish I could live back then, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so it's it's kind of walking this fine line of not not wanting to burst her bubble of the reality of life in the you know 1800s you know uh, pioneer life interesting um, you know with <laughs> see, see that's the later era thing for me as a as a young man i was not interested in like pioneer times mm-hmm. i was interested in like knights dragons mm-hmm. and knights yes and well certainly dinosaurs I, I don't know if that's like a just a young man's game i was obsessed. i think we I think all, all go all through all through that you are know? a little obsessed with dinosaurs but i think for me as a kid i had like the this is a really big thing. Do you remember the Village Toy Shop on Genesis? Oh, Street? I loved the Village Toy Shop. The Toy Shop was, was amazing. Awesome. And they used to have these little metal knights. They were little, like, oh my painted, die-cast metal knights, and they had, like, swords, and they were on horseback, and you could buy them all, and, like, it was a set thing. And I, when I was a kid, I was obsessed, obsessed with them. But I never had the dragon, so it would always just be Godzilla. <laughs> you know, just that, bit, that one big Godzilla from Roseanne that was on the back of their living room for years and years. That's what I see. But that's what I love about kids, and and I, I think I you know um, as we get older, uh, maybe I, I'm wrong or maybe I'm generalizing, but I feel like as we get older, we start to develop this sort of like completist mentality. Oh yeah. You know whether it's with like a book series, like I can't just have the one volume that I like. Like well now I've got volume four and I really like it. I need I need to have the others. They need to be uh, on the shelf. You know I think the same thing goes with like toys. Like when you're a kid, like I've got this toy from this set i've got this toy from a garage sale like they might be the most mismatched different size things but with a kid's imagination you use them and you just it all works together right but then like as we get older you it starts to you you start 
oh well they don't make they don't make this for this series or they don't make this leg or they don't make this figure you know but it's like when you're a kid you didn't bother with that you just you know you wanted the shark head figure you just grabbed something that looked like a shark and you used it well you that's know? the that's the perpetual childhood that i think exists with with maybe men of our age too sometimes like i take my niece and nephew sometimes if you go to like a target toys r us whatever back when that was the thing people were doing regularly <laughs> See, there's nothing that, that of our age we'd be like do you remember toys, toys r us, us? yes yeah. But, like, I look at some of the stuff that's out there, I'm like, damn, I wish I was still... Like, these toys are way cooler than my, yeah. like, one articulation point Spider-Man that would fall off the... You know, his arms would fall off and stuff like that. I, I remember that. There was... Do you... There was, like, the... Um... There was like the DC superhero action figures when we were little, and they like you know mm. maybe had like the power punch or something yeah. like that. They had the Batman that was plastic but had an actual cloth cape. Yeah, that I had as a kid. And, that was and like... you know now I look at like the how many different characters they make in the action figures. You know it, that you know kids play with, and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean like. Like I'm sure they don't know who any of these 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 characters are, but it's like it's just amazing the the variety of, of that the toy companies uh, go to these days. It's crazy. There's a lot of things in my life that I never thought would have the relevance and importance in society that they do today. Uh, superheroes, Marvel, DC, in particular, and their the mega structure of that existing in the world is something I never thought I'd see. Much like I never expected video games to become this massive multi-billion dollar industry when I was a kid it was like stop playing that it's useless it's gonna rot your brain it probably still is mind you. <laughs> uh, but yeah I, I'm still to this day kind of stunned that superheroes became the the forefront entertainment I guess it's not that surprising though comic books have been around since the 30s <laughs> yeah but, you know but it's funny that it became because it, it was like you know it was sort of like the outsiders uh, pop culture. You know what I mean when you think about. It? I mean, maybe yeah. not. Maybe it was it was starting to burst through the mainstream more so when we were when we were kids. But I mean, you look back. I don't want to get into a history lesson, but I mean, you look back at like the thirties, forties. <laughs> you know, they were disposable yeah. reading material, um, often made by a lot of the times created by uh, people who came from like immigrant families yep. or, or, or mm -hmm. off the boat, and. and you know, um, sometimes mirroring their own stories. You know, Superman's the most famous one to do, like, refugee from another planet, mm -hmm. you know, coming to Earth. You know, Is but... Superman Jewish? We've had, I don't know if I've had this... Uh, his creators were. <laughs> his creators so, were. So, you know, so, so, you know, he, he, he very well uh, could be. But... I always assumed that Spider-Man and Superman were both probably Jewish. You know, I never really, I really never gave much thought to it. But you, you know, you... I know, no, I mean, nothing that matters one way no, or the other. But I, I mean, assumed... I know, I know, Superman, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, who made who made Superman, were were Jewish. Uh, yeah, and so you know, there's a lot of I think metaphor in in the story that, that, that they told there. But you're right. I mean, so this stuff was like disposable income. I mean, yeah, it made its way to other medium media in like the 40 a serial yeah. the, the 40 serials and stuff and then you get like the tv shows but just the way that it's taken over and become such financial juggernauts now i never would have thought in these i mean you think back to okay let's look at marvel really quick like, i love it the you think <laughs> of like we got some decent cartoons of that stuff but mm -hmm. think of like the live action stuff i mean we got some pretty cruddy 
Um, yeah. Remember the like, like Thor, Thor, Thor versus Hulk oh, kind yeah, yeah, of like yeah. you know directed oh, video yes. kind of stuff. I you know what? Have I mean? that one. You know, that I think there was not... a Daredevil one in there too. Um, you were probably you were probably around for like the original, not around when you were a kid, maybe, but like the original live action attempts with like Captain America the TV movie and like the Punisher with Dolph Lundgren and like those weird attempts that were just like yeah. Cash I remember grabs. when they came out, and I I remember not not having seen them, but I remember seeing. Um, you know what I remember seeing? The VHS covers. In the, in the video, store, in yes. the video store. Absolutely. That's what I remember seeing. <laughs> God, I and like that. thinking like, oh, wow, they made a Captain America movie. But even as a kid, I was like, wow, that looks pretty terrible. You know? <laughs> but uh, We talked about it on last week's podcast. And you just mentioned it briefly, and I want to hit it before you, it runs away from my mind. I was talking to Kevin about how I, I saw the movie when I was a kid in high school. I was flipping through TV. TBS was on, and the movie Red Dragon was on. Red Dragon, the prequel to Silence of the Lambs. Right, sorry, yes. Mm-hmm. And famously, I watched the first 15 minutes. I was like, wow, this is great. I don't want to watch this on TV. I'm going to go to the video store. And I went to Showbiz and rented the movie and brought the movie back to my house and then watched it. And it's terrible. <laughs> After the first 15 minutes, it famously tanks. And I was like, oh, I should have just hung around and watched it because I would have saved myself some money. But it did get me thinking, I did love video stores as a concept just simply as a kid the idea of walking around and looking at all these different properties and concepts that were not that i wasn't even familiar with because there was no internet this was as close as it ever got Mm -hmm. to being something like to the internet that we have today right something Mm -hmm. i've never seen before what's this yeah i need to know more i try to i try to have this conversation with with my kids um especially with my son who's who's nine now and it's it's hard to to have this conversation without coming off um, as the you know the old man you know, in my day <laughs> because my wife and I try to explain that like the concept of the video store because they're just so used to I mean like I said he's nine my 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 daughters are like five and uh, and under um, and they're just they've grown up with this um, just accessibility to everything. Um, you know, we have, we have a, a, you know, Roku, you know, for oh, television. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so, so, you know, you want to watch something, <laughs> you just go find it. And I mean, yes, I'm a Disney Plus subscriber. So it's literally like anything yeah. in the Disney area. Okay, here we go. We'll watch it. And I'm trying to explain to them, like, you know, if I wanted to watch something, you either, I was just having this conversation literally within the past week with, with I think, um, one of them. So I was trying to describe, you had to either go and buy it from a store if they had it. Or you had to go to a video store and you had yes. to hope that they had to borrow, like you do the library, but you paid for it. You know, I was trying to explain this whole concept to them, and it's such a foreign thing. Well, even the idea of having a local video store as opposed to the national channel. Like we, had yes. a, we had a Blockbuster. We had Video to Roll. Video to Roll. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, like, what, there was Hollywood Video yes. for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then Showbiz, this was the, when I was working for w the wb i got that mm-hmm. job as a kid being the wb spokesman for any real fringe old-time uticans hitting the pots and pans and so i'm glad you said <laughs> that that wasn't me i was not the guy who hit the pots and pans he was the guy who was directly before us he was there ah. he was their marketing campaign mm-hmm. right before they were like oh we're doing the faces of the region so it was me from utica and three other people from various like little balls or commercials mm-hmm. whatever right and they would make us do these commercials and we were essentially like indentured servants. Like we were, they didn't really pay us anything, and they were, were sort of on it call. Was just or whatever. Like, hey, you want to be on TV? Hey, you want to? Yeah. But they would give it. They gave you a TV, and they gave you a year's supply of Coca Cola, and a year's worth of free movie rentals from Showbiz Video. Those oh were the gosh. three prizes. Mm-hmm. And mind you, this is the era. 
the TV itself came with a VCR built in oh, to you put it right in your room. La-di-da, fancy pants. Fancy pants. <laughs> uh, 1998, maybe. 99. Um, but yeah, I would go to showbiz all the time because of that. Like, once a week, I was in there, I would just rent anything. Yeah. That was when I got in that, the, the phase that I think every young boy gets into, the horror slasher movies from like 12 to 14. Like I would rent, I watched... Everything. All the bad Halloween movies. Not the mm-hmm. first two that people sort of like. Just all the Like Halloween effort. 5, The Curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> Halloween 6, The Legacy of the Myers Family. Whatever the hell it's, it is. I went through a similar phase in, in, in college because there was, there was a, a, a time when I had, had moved away and I was living in western Massachusetts. So for me it was a little bit later. But I had in the summers when there was no um, – I stayed there in the, in the summertime. Um, there were no classes. There was no anything. Yeah. So – figuring out what to do aside from working i was um they had a, a blockbuster there yeah. and they had a uh, they had a um kind of a pass or something rent one movie uh, a yeah. day yep. or every day of the month and it was the vhs era i didn't have a dvd player yet it was still vcr <laughs> and so i had a similar phase but instead of horror movies it was like comedies so i would like jump Any into com- like yeah. obscure comedies yes. that like oh this has Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall, sure, I'll watch it. You know, and then I would I would just find these things that I'd never heard of before. I'm going to have to write this down because you seem like you are right in the wheelhouse for this YouTube channel that I've been watching lately that does, like, little 10-minute videos about cult, almost cult classics, it's called. Like, movies that are right on the fringe of oh, being nice. cult classics. And the one I always think about with video stores, I would see the thing all the time, was the Chris Elliott film Cabin Boy. Which, oh, gosh, oh, which, yes. Justin Parkinson from Made in Utica, I didn't say this, he said this, claims that that movie's pretty good. (laughs) That should be on the back of the box. Justin says says, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I've never totally seen it, but those are like the things that that movie exists as a VHS on the shelf at Video to Roll, and that's it. (laughs) I I can see that. But we all have movies like that, too, where it doesn't, you just... You don't care what people say about them. You don't care how good or bad it is. You, you know, what movie do you ride for like that? Like, what's the movie that you know is objectively bad that you're like, you know what though? I have to, I have to go to bat for this one. Um, maybe it's not objectively bad, but one that, but I, I know it kind of tanks. Um, is uh, Almost Heroes? Do you remember? Almost I was just Heroes? gonna say that. Holy I love shit. Almost Heroes, and I, and people like forget that it exists. I mean, it's Matthew Perry and Chris Farley in a colonial buddy comedy. I uh, love it. <laughs> who's the guy who? There's like a guy at the end who's like the bad guy. His name is. Oh like, god. He's amazing, and he has one of the great lines in movie history. The underrated lines is like, "You now see me for what I truly am—a bald." fat man i was like oh my god what a great line and that's and that's like a two percent joke for anyone who remembers that movie i love i i just that's one of those movies where like if it's on somewhere like i will sit and watch it because i just that's like a a guilty pleasure for me almost it's like just i think the concept just the mere fact that somebody said you know lewis and clark we're gonna do a buddy comedy about the guys who who couldn't keep up with it like i'm like to me that's brilliant i I love it I know that he made all his money with friends, and he's, like, loaded for life. Mm-hmm. Could Matthew Perry have done more? I know he had, like, substance abuse issues, like, personal yeah. stuff, but I feel like there was another level of Matthew Perry we could have gotten, and it didn't, it never I, showed up. I agree with you, and I think that, <laughs> I think that Almost Heroes kind of shows that I think had he not, because you look at the movies he did do, and they were all pretty much, like, 
the romantic comedy, yeah. or whole like, nine or like whole night, the whole nine yards movies, where he basically played a very Chandler-like kind of like you know, neurotic guy, neurotic yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I, I think if, if, if he had done, <laughs> if he had gotten the chance to do more slapsticky stuff or buddy stuff, like he did with Farley in that movie, I think he would have done. I think he would have had a whole other branch in his career. This is like another late era thing that I've gotten into in my mid-30s is like the stories of actors as they make their way up. Like I was watching this, I swear to God, I sound like such a loser. I watched an hour-long YouTube documentary on Married with Children. Oh my God. Every season of Married with Children, it broke down like, uh, you know, all what the seasons were about and like the course of the show. And I didn't know that Matt LeBlanc, Joey, started off on a show that was a spinoff of Married with Children. That's right. The Verducci's, I believe. I was... forgot. That. <laughs> I, I have not thought about that since the time it aired until this very moment. Well, hey. <laughs> you are right. I remember that. And it's just so weird. Like, I, And I guess the most famous one, obviously, is Jennifer Aniston famously was in the movie Leprechaun. Leprechaun. Which, yep. if you go to whatever streaming service has Leprechaun yeah. on it, mm-hmm. and you click on the picture, it's, it's her face. I love how they do that. I love how the streaming <laughs> services, they're so on top of those thumbnail images because they will find whoever uh, is, is you know, either in spotlight at that moment yeah. or the most popular, and they will they will change it out in a heartbeat if it helps get another, uh, uh, another click on those movies. Uh, well, I want to say... Uh, Thank you so much, by the way, for bringing me this graphic novel style. Oh, is this like the first series, first season? Is first season, first yeah, season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out from um, uh, Darby Pop Publishing during the pandemic, which was s- sort of uh, a hard sell when, <laughs> when yeah. you know, when a book comes out during during pandemic. Well, um, how has the response? I know it's probably been weird with muted res- COVID stuff, but how has the response been? It seems like a lot of people seem very positive. Well, the, critically, of, it, yeah. it's been it's done very well. I think. You know what happened was is it, when it came out, um, except it was in the pandemic. Comic shops were either closed or just opening up again, yeah. and so you know uh, it was distributed. You know, it was published by Darby Pop and distributed through Diamond Distribution, which mm-hmm. for those who aren't comic nerds, Diamond is sort of like the big wig for for you know comic distribution or was for many many years. So they deal directly with comic shops. So when you have you you have all those factors in there, you're you. Really, you know, the distribution that's focused solely on comic shops, and yeah. then you at the pandemic on top of it, you know, uh, made it a little harder launch than I think when yeah. we initially signed with them. And um, but to their credit, they you know they they gave it uh, Derby Pop gave it their all. They've been great to work with, and and you know they're and really is, pushing it. Well, where does it work to a digital distribution in today's market? Like, is it all physical copy in this end? Um, or are you like... It's it's the, you know Derby Pop has you know has their books available digitally too. So it's like yeah. you know on the Amazon Kindle. Um, it's on Comixology. Yeah, yeah. I think Comixology is owned by Amazon. Really? So they're tied together. You know, but but critically, it's, it's done really well. Um, you know, we're working on a, a, a volume two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew awesome. Selinsky, our, uh, our good friend, my, Andrew. our good friend Andrew, um, who uh, is co-creator and illustrator for Lacey and Lily. Uh, you know, I just got notes back from our, our publisher uh, on the scripts for volume two. So, uh, like dialogue polishes. So. I'm going to review those uh, this week, but, but volume two is in the works, which, knock on wood, is is a positive sign. Can I go back to dialogue polishes? Yes, I love it. As a, uh, how do you take any sort of dialogue or editorial discussion? Like, you have to take it. Obviously, they're professionals. That's the gig. But like, is there a part of you that's like? I used um, to be like that when I was writing uh, songs. You know, I think when I was <laughs> when I was younger, I think I had a much harder time with. With those kind of with like notes, you know. Oh yeah. You know, and and I think that's just that's probably just the ego of youth. I, yeah, think. I think that's. I think you're totally right. And, and as you get older, you get more something, and you start to realize that you know, 
people aren't aren't especially when you're in collaboration you know with things whether it's a collaborative artist or an editor yeah. or working with you know they're not giving you things to tear you down they're giving you things to to make something better yeah um and and these guys have been you know the the folks at darby pop our editor and our publisher have been really great because you know they they will send us notes and say you know here's some suggestions what do you think about mm-hmm. this? Because in the end, these are your guys' characters. Mm-hmm. What do you think? So they've been really good about about opening up the dialogue about the dialogue and, and other things. Um, and uh, so it's it's been a really good uh, working relationship. And uh, you know, I think you know nine nine times out of ten, I can look at them and go, yeah, you know, that's that's right. It, it, I probably used too many words, or I you know sure. Um, I always like to say that I sometimes fall into the habit of writing like I talk, which is too much. Oh, I know I how use, that goes. I use too many <laughs> words when I can use a, a few. Um, so I was bad at poetry when I was a kid. I was terrible. <laughs> at, like, I was good at creative writing, terrible at poetry because yeah. I was like, I can't boil this down anymore. What do you want? From me? <laughs> Let me ask you this question though, because I'm, I'm so I'm curious. You know, you said the second season's in the works right now, and as a creative type guy, I'm sure that this concept, the Lacey and Lily concept, is not the only concept you've come up with. So where do you, like, f- draw the line between, like, I need to sustain ideas for this current project, which seems to be going well, and how do I how do I take an idea and decide if this is the right idea for this project that exists, or is it the right idea for something that's yet to come? That's that's um, <clears throat> a good question, and it, it kind of is probably answered by the um, piles of notebooks and baskets of papers that I have to find <laughs> room for in my house. Um which you know, thank goodness my wife introduced me to the basket system of yeah. using baskets for things uh, because I, huh. I now have like piles of papers that used to be like sitting around. Yes, yeah. now <laughs> they're still disorganized, but they're disorganized in a basket. Um, I tend to, to I write a lot of notes uh, to myself. Sometimes it's like on a post-it. Sometimes it's on a napkin. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I'll go back through those if I'm you know feeling creatively in a slump and I need yeah. to kind of look back because I think we always. I don't know about you, but like I always go through a phase, and I'm kind of straying away from your question, and I apologize. No, no, no. I always go through this phase. Um, it's like a roller coaster where I'll feel like I'm on a creative high. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And then I have phases where I will just sit there and, and tear myself apart. That how are you? You know, you're you're most you were so much brighter. You were so much more creative <laughs> 10, 15 years ago. What do you? You know, and all these things. And then all of a sudden, I will just you know somehow just come out of it and you know things will be you know get better and I'll, and this the spark will come again but i tend to review a lot of notes uh and keep them and then sometimes decide you know oh this this never worked for x y and z oh maybe this will work for this project instead or maybe this will work for a lace and lily story or or oh maybe this will you know what let me save this because i think that's more of a of a prose piece maybe i can do something with that later with know? when i was doing music that was very much a common concept like hey i got this i got this riff i got this part we don't have the rest of the song it'll just get kicked around for you know anywhere between two months to multiple years where you just run this riff out multiple times you're like wait does it does this work with this does this work so i think sometimes and i think this is a question people used to give me a lot as a songwriter as a songwriter oh do you write all the songs i'm like sometimes like sometimes i come in with a sometimes i used to come in with a whole song like bam here it is done learn this part right yeah and sometimes it's like i got this i have this one guitar line and maybe these three lyrics, and that's it, right? Yeah. So I, I've always found with creative stuff, you you have to sort of be able to to pull that balance between like I have I'm on a sheer creative high, I'm just gonna run with this full completed idea, or I have to have some sort of team or some sort of collaboration to be like, what do you think about? Yes. Um, 
a minor riff or mm-hmm. guy who can turn into a bear. Like, how do we work this into something mm-hmm. else? Like, all I have is this one part. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? and, and, you know, um, I mean, there's been different projects, you know, that, that work different like that. But speaking of Lace and Lily, that's, you know, sometimes some really, some ideas come about because, honestly, because Andrew will say, hey, I really want to draw x y and z Mm -hmm. so he may sometimes say like he may be on a creative high himself and really you know want to you know come and say i want to draw a story about um you know uh halloween with a werewolf and it's got to take place in salem massachusetts Mm -hmm. and i want it to be you know um a field trip but i wanted to have a scooby-doo vibe and so he'll kind of really be on this high and have something that he wants to draw and so it's sort of like this um challenge for me where i'll be like let me see what I can do with that. So, yeah. like, I take these puzzle pieces, and then I kind of figure out how to assemble them in a way to make a story mm-hmm. out of what he wants to draw. And sometimes it's it's um, it can be challenging, but sometimes it can really result in a lot of fun because it's um, it's really taking just these these uh, variety of elements yeah. and figuring out how I'm going to create like a yeah. narrative around it. Um, we don't do every story that way, but there's been a few uh, Lacey and Lily stories in, in this upcoming season that have happened that way, and I've you've been really happy with how they kind of came about through well, that. I think it's like an ego death kind of thing, right? Like, you have to sort of take away the ego as the creator when you're coming up with something and sort of live in the moment. I always laughed. I wrote this story when I was a little kid in fifth grade. It's a really stupid story about a guy who took steroids when he was in the Olympics, and the steroids had some... It's very relevant right now. It's very relevant. <laughs> and he had some sort of... And the steroids had some sort of timber wolf blood oh extract right <laughs> and he turned into a werewolf and the story it. was called the olympic werewolf and i remember like as a kid i thought this was the coolest thing i've ever written and then as i get older i'm like i went back i was like wow this is a this is there's some plot holes in here let me tell you boy I, we're some real big leaps in logic and I was like this is a really stupid story i told my nephew about it and he's like oh that sounds kind of cool right <laughs> because you know we and that's the thing we as a as adults we don't um okay i'm gonna i'm gonna bring it back to comics for i some. love it there's yeah, a please. great quote from um, I don't remember the exact quote but I'm going to paraphrase from writer Grant Morrison Love it. and there's no Grant Morrison Grant Morrison is, is one of the most noted writers both in comics and outside too um, probably there were like Neil Gaiman oh yeah and okay Frank Miller Morrison Frank Miller <laughs> yeah. Morrison you know is quoted as saying something akin to and I'm kind of paraphrasing when you're a kid you just enjoy the story mm-hmm. when you're an adult you start asking really stupid questions like who inflates the tires on the Batmobile? Where you know, uh, you yeah. know, where 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 does you know Superman put this? And those those things that we get hung up on as adults that pull you oh. out of the story. Whereas a kid, you're just enjoying the wonder of it all. And, and he's, I think he's absolutely right. And I think that goes back to your your Timberwolf Olympic story because <laughs> you, you know your your nephew, right? You said yeah. your nephew, like just. Thought it was cool. Yeah. And that, I think, is is where their imaginations get sparked. And we as adults, we get hung up on these really stupid well, details. I think there's a real relevant version of this in in the pop culture world right now. This Space Jam movie. Every bad review I read about this Space Jam movie might as well just say, I'm not 10 years old anymore and I'm mad about it. Yeah. Right? Because like, I, I don't know what you want. Like it, I've thought about this because I grew up watching Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. I watched every single Godzilla movie. And they're terrible. They're all terrible. And I was talking to, I think, Kevin one night about this when the King Kong vs. Godzilla movie was coming out. And I was just like, I don't think you can make... I don't think there exists the idea that you could make this movie better than a certain threshold. How good could a movie about a giant lizard possibly be? Yeah. Right? Like, it's... the What's your best case scenario, Jaws? They tried that with the first one and people were mostly, like, meh about it. Right? Hide the shark, though. Hide Godzilla (laughs) the whole time until the end, right? 
I just don't. I think to a certain level, like you can't ask for too much from certain things. I right? think we've reached a level of uh, in, in our society too, where we have become so um, audiences have become so. And this, I'm generalizing. It's not cynical, everybody is, cynical <laughs> entitled. Oh know, yeah, the the, the the ex expectations that they have. We've lost the ability and again i'm not talking on a whole but i think that there's a good uh, group of uh, folks who have lost the ability to go into something and either enjoy it or b say you know what this wasn't for me this is a movie for yeah. this is a movie for kids it's not for me instead we have uh, a society that is just expecting everything to be tailor-made for them and it's ru- I-, I hate to say it, it it's ruining the experience i have a lot of my friends men in their mid-30s uh, who are vague about their politics, and they genuinely seem to not enjoy anything, even things they used to like. I mean, like general things. Yeah. Watching a baseball game. This game sucks. Everyone's cheating. All the and I'm like, yeah, I know. Everything's wrong with it. Everything's wrong with it. Oh, basketball. The refs are all fixed. That the whole thing is a fix, right? Oh, these movies are stupid. They're about. It's just like, well, what do you like? Yeah. Tell me just something. Fine. I know that this is. You know, this, uh, whatever, this TV series I'm watching might not be the most intellectually stimulating thing. I don't know, I'm sitting here, I'm enjoying myself for 20 minutes, right? You have to like something. Wrestling is the ultimate version of this, because wrestling fans are the most entitled fans in all of entertainment. (laughs) Because they're the only fans I've ever seen. Like, you wouldn't go see a... You wouldn't go see a band, and if they played a song you didn't like, you would go, Boo, this song sucks! Play something else! And then you'd go on the internet and be like, This band sucks, they've always sucked. That's every episode of wrestling that's ever existed. Fans are like, This show sucks. These fans... But then if it wasn't on, they'd be sad. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do you... Okay, did you watch... Uh, uh, did you watch... Um... Any of the Marvel TV shows that they were I've watched all of them. Okay. I have, I have a segment coming up, so if you want to get into that, we can get into that. We have, uh, you know, I think to win the first, well, the first one was probably WandaVision. I think they came WandaVision, right? then Falcon Winter Soldier, okay. and then Loki. There was, I remember when WandaVision ended, it was like, you had this, this swath of people who were complaining, not because of anything that actually, like, happened within the story or the show. Mm-hmm. It was because of what wasn't in the show that they wanted. And it was like, this character didn't show up yeah. that I wanted. This oh character wasn't there. And, and it was like, well, you made that up in your head. Nobody promised yeah. you this. You this, know? this is directly a professional wrestling thing. This is called fantasy booking. People talk refer about this, right? So the champion right now in the WWE is a guy named Roman Reigns. You ever heard of him? Uh, vaguely. I'm vaguely. not wrestling, but I, I, I'm aware of some of the person. Oh, I bring that up because I'm sure you weren't a wrestling guy. I was just curious <laughs> if you ever heard of him, right? Well, anyway, you know, he's fighting, uh, I want to say... Well, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's like an old-time guy who's come... John Cena. John Cena's okay. coming oh, back yep. from doing his movies and stuff mm-hmm. to fight him, right? And people are, like, annoyed. <laughs> like, they're, like, mad about it. Uh, but, like, I, I had a point I was going to get to, and I was... The entitlement? Oh, yeah, the entitlement. And it's just, like... It's like you booked in your head that it was going to be somebody else. You're like, oh, he's going to fight... Oh, uh, Brock Lesnar's going to come back. This young wrestler I like who's coming up, they're going to give him the the thing. So you come up with all these ideas in your head for who Roman Reigns should fight. Yeah. And then John Cena shows up and people are like, oh, John Cena, what the fuck? It's like, well, you didn't... I don't. I didn't write to HBO at the end of The Sopranos and be like, "This is outrageous that you would yes. tell me this story." It's a story. Like we just gotta gotta go and, with it. And and what? Where are we? That we're at a point where like yeah. creators and 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 creatives are telling story, telling their stories. 
and people are, are outraged that it's not the story in their heads. Well, I missed out yeah. on Game of Thrones, but that seemed to be the most relevant cultural version. Yeah. People loved this show, and then by the end, people... I, again, I didn't watch it, so I can't yeah. sit here and... I didn't watch either, but, yeah. but I'm aware of the same thing. People were just like, this wasn't how I was. This is not how it was supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. And that I mean, I guess that goes back to Sopranos, though, because even when I was a kid, and I loved The Sopranos, but that was a thing. Like, wait, this show just ends like, like this? That? Are mm-hmm. you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Maybe the first time I relevant even like the Seinfeld I was just I was just about to bring up Seinfeld yeah Mm -hmm. yeah maybe it goes all the way back to that maybe it really does but you think of you know if you went back pre-internet you You know you wouldn't have known people would have been upset but who were they going to complain to the guy on the porch next door you know what I mean like the newspaper critic maybe or something instead you know because we have you know um, and I know I said earlier well, you're like believe me I like the internet Um, but like maybe I should have taken back that statement or tempered it a little bit but you know but because of that Everybody has a platform. And because oh, yeah. everybody, you know, has a platform, everybody thinks they need to use it in a certain way. And it's... it's. Um... Well, I'll give you a good example of using their platform. One of the things I've seen a lot on various social media platforms is that this Black Widow movie underperformed a little bit in terms of how much money it Box made or how people mm-hmm. thought or whatever. And a lot of people are taking this as a sign that the superhero bubble is over. It's done. Now, I don't think that's the case. I think that the... Black Widow movie is sort of a, a B-plus level Marvel. It's not the Avengers. It's not, like, the X-Men or something, right? Yeah, it's, something yeah. wild. it's just a, a movie about a character who, spoiler, passed away in the movie before this. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, but do you... I, I'm also just going to throw a couple things at you here. These are all oh, the products that I was thinking of that I've seen over the last, like, six months that were superhero-related. Uh, I saw Invincible. I saw The Boys. I saw Loki. I saw Black Widow. I saw Captain of the Winter Falcon. I saw WandaVision. And I wa- tried to watch that MODOK show. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And by the time I got to MODOK, I was like, I don't care about this. <laughs> I really, I do not care at all about this show. There's there's always the chance for viewer viewer burnout. Yeah. You know? But it, it's also, you know, we're choosing whether or not to watch it. Yeah. Right? You know, so like you you reach that burnout point, so you personally can be, you know, you know what? I've had my fill. I mean, same thing with me. Like, am I caught up on the Marvel TV shows on Disney Plus? Yeah, I am. Am I going to run out to the theater to go see the latest thing? Probably not. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I I enjoyed the shows. But I'm probably, you know, I'm not going to rush out to go see the next thing. Maybe I'll watch it when it comes to streaming. But I like that time in between, you know. for nothing. And I'm not trying to rag on the Marvel machine. They're making lots of money. I look at some of the projects that are coming out, and I don't know how interested I am in, like, the Eternals. Mm-hmm. I'm here for any Spider-Man. I'm here for any, like, yeah, Doctor yeah. Strange. I'm actually, I thought that Loki was one of the most interesting things they had done as a studio in a really long I, time. I really liked it. And again, there's always going to be good. people who didn't like it. But I like when they're taking things and trying something mm. different with it. Because you can't... And believe me, I'm speaking as somebody who's, who's you know, read comics yeah. since I was, you know, probably like seven years old. <laughs> but, like, you can't... When things are translated to another medium, you, you cannot expect it to be necessarily a carbon carbon copy you know of yeah. what you read but I mean, first of all it would kind of take the fun out of it if you knew exactly what would happen because you could go pick up this book and read it and, and know mm-hmm. know absolutely everything's gonna yeah. happen plus you know things work differently in, in live action and uh, you know i'm sure there'd be like a bunch of swords pointed at me for saying this but different forms of media require different takes you know well i think that's why if you look at the Zack snyder watchman movie which is up until like the very end, pretty much a shot-for-shot shot rendition of the okay. comic book as much as possible. Mm-hmm. It's as close as I've ever seen as a movie. Just be like, we're gonna use direct dialogue and scenery and shot footage. And people are kind of up and down on that movie. I think it's fine, but some people didn't 
care for that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. like, well, what is this? Why would I watch this then if it's mm-hmm. just the same thing I've already? Well, and, and it's it's okay to say, you know what, this isn't made for me. You yeah. talked about Zack Snyder. Okay, I watched the the. Um, the long the Snyder cut, cut, the Snyder cut of the just the movie. You it's, know what? It's been it, a running joke it, here. At it's the like, <laughs> it's not. And I can, I watched it, and I can say like, it's not for me. Yeah. I'm not gonna get on the internet and talk about everything I didn't like about it. And there were some things that I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. But did I you watch the original version? Um, I think I caught it on television. Actually, during the pandemic, I think I, that's where on, I'm stuck with it. Yeah, I, I watched the original version. Yeah, and now I'm like, do I want to invest? Four hours into a movie that I've already invested, yeah, two and a half hours into. It's it, and and that's hard when you've already done that. Like, I'm already like, <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's it's a long it's a long amount of time to invest in something. And I I didn't bring it up specifically, but I do think there is one particular comic book property that I think is the single best comic book property that's on the market today, and it's that DC Harley Quinn cartoon. I haven't watched it, but I've uh, heard very good. Th- I've heard it's very funny. It's the funniest comic book it's the funniest DC property that's come out I haven't seen Shazam but I think it's the funniest thing I've seen it's adult humor it's so good it's so funny a big part of it and this is is like I'm getting into real fringe sorry folks (laughs) (laughs) what's interesting about the the Harley Quinn TV show is it pulls on different threads from all sorts of different comic book universes Mm -hmm. right the Bane tropes and things like that yeah the Bane in this particular series is the Bane from the Christopher Nolan, like, oh, Batman. Oh, see, that's, that's A lot of the comedy comes specifically from, from poking him. poking fun at, 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 the, at those uh, yeah. properties he, in different media. Like, I want to say in one of the scenes, he's in the Legion of Doom, and he's got a coffee cup that says, like, caffeine is my reckoning. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like <laughs> it's a lot like of, like, funny. Yeah. really clever use of the material. And that's what I think is impressive is that show, with that show, is you look at DC, and I'm like, good for you guys for allowing these creators to be like, we're gonna take a bunch of liability, like yes. li- license with these characters. Like we're gonna go off the grid with some of these characters, and they're like, sure. And that's having fun awesome. because then you're having fun with it. And I think yeah. that's the problem is sometimes you get bogged down in any brother superheroes or anything else. You get bogged down when you're, you know, just trying so hard to to uh, be serious all the time. Yeah. And and I think you know a lot of people complain about you know they want their their superhero stuff to be more realistic and gritty, but. At its core, we're talking about people in like tights and capes flying around. You really like how much reality and grittiness can you have? You really have to let your brain accept some the ridiculousness of the core concept. There's a sequence in the the Loki show with Richard E. Grant playing old Loki from the comics in the full Loki gear, and I was like, this is what it theoretically this is what it's supposed to look like, right? I I, I imagine this is what all these comic books are supposed to look like. Glorious purpose. I gotta ask you this before we get to lightning round questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. tell I've gone farther than I meant to. Have you oh yeah, here. I know we're. In, that's okay. No, that's okay. No, no. I always just feel bad. I always tell you like, oh, we're in like thirty minutes, and then we're already at like thirty-seven. Uh, you were on TV covering for Jason Paulus yes. on uh, on KTV like a couple yes, weeks ago. Yes, um, they. Uh, you know, there it's summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are taking vacation time and. Um, they're in between um, some staffing and. Um, Did you get a phone call? I just call you up. I'm like, hey, man. Well, I keep it. T- <laughs> I keep it, like like the bat phone. I have yeah. the red yeah. phone sitting in my study. Um, no, you know, I mean, I keep in touch with with uh, my my former colleagues uh, up there from my time at the station, and and you know, just said like, hey, you know, would you be interested in in filling in? Mm-hmm. We may need to fill in. I said, yeah, if I'm available, you know, let me let me know. Yeah. And and so, um, you know, they 
Paul, you know, just said, hey, you know, uh, can you do any of these days while Jason's away? And I was like, yeah, I can do, I can do this day, this day, and and so I filled it for him. It was nice. It was a chance to um, stick my toe back in the in the pool for a little <laughs> bit, um, you know, and hopefully it allowed uh, Jason, to, uh, you know, and, and other folks a little time off. You know? I think get him on here one of these days. He's like one of those weird folks who's never been on. Oh, I, Jay's a great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. Did you have to? Was that? Uh, it was straight. It was laugh because I was like. Um, I always think when I'm watching like TV, I'm always like, I think I could do this. This seems this seems fine. This seems mm-hmm. right in my wheelhouse. And probably it's a pain. I would imagine there's probably more to it if you've never done it before than you give it credit for. Like, I think a lot of folks who watch um, local news don't realize. I think they, they turn on the television, they see the people talking on television, and they think that that's all those people are doing. I used to get that a lot when I would do the noon um, at KTV, you know, regularly. Yeah, yeah. People would think that, you know, I must walk in at 1130 anchor the new news and go home and it would kind of be like yeah well no um and i don't think i think people don't realize that all the folks at, at your local television stations um are doing like 15 other jobs yeah oh you know? yeah and and they, they don't realize that because people are always quick to criticize the folks that they see on television mm-hmm. and you know i think that you know there is not the realization that they're not just showing up the anchors aren't just showing up and reading. Yeah. The meteorologists aren't just showing up and looking at the map and, mm-hmm. and, and pointing to it or, or reading what's on. You know, oh, yeah, the, for sure. The, there's, there's, you know, everybody's doing a myriad of jobs, whether it is, um, you know, going out and gathering those stories, whether it's cutting the videos, whether it's writing the scripts, taking all those phone calls from those viewers all yeah. day long, um, pl- finding the stories, you know, planning, you know, producing shows. You know, there's, um, there's just so much stuff that goes on to pull those things together that I don't think people realize. And it's hard because... Because even as I explain it, I'm not doing it justice. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why, for me, uh, you know, um, when, you know, my wife had said, you know, oh, was it fun? And I said, it was fun. I said, and I think that it was more so fun to go back because I did not have those 15 other responsibilities <laughs> right, right, like exactly. everybody else there has. Yeah. And I had back when I was working there on a regular basis because I was you just kind of just filling in. Just for the in. fun part. Just Ex- for the exactly. I mean, I'm totally part, admitting. Yeah. I, you know, when I filled it recently for Jay, I was just, I was kind of just coming in for the fun yeah. part. You know, I was helping out where I could. But, you know, those folks, you know, behind and in front of the, the, the camera both, you know, they're doing a, a, a ton of different oh jobs. And, and I think people don't realize that. So I just well, need to, to well, When I was a young man, I was doing those TV commercials. I used to go up to the studio and, you know, up on Smith Hill or mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we would be in the, there's the newsroom on the left when you walk in and then there's like the little space on the right, like the mm-hmm. little, like the dugout essentially the bullpen where everyone's just sort of hanging out doing their thing. And that's where most of the interesting conversation went. Yeah. Everyone just sort mm-hmm. of sitting around in this like little research corner. Like mm-hmm. I was watching The Wire. Oh, what's going on in here? It's like, uh, but those are the parts I liked. Like I didn't care to be on the on the floor, I found it to be a little <laughs> um, So before we get into some lightning round questions with you, so you said season two, uh, Lacey and Lily, you guys are getting in the ready. Works. In, in the, the works. works. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else coming up on the dock for you? Any new concepts um, or anything you're working on? Um, some things that I can't say anything about of at course. the moment. Um, but um, yeah, uh, <laughs> fortunately, the, the, the next immediate thing I, I can't say anything about. That's um, fine. But uh, always working on, on other uh, projects. I've got another um children's picture book in nice. the works um so i'm hoping that sometime that'll hopefully see the light of day in the next year or two would be great but we'll see um and beyond that there might be some other um uh some other stuff coming but awesome. unfortunately it's kind of a weird <laughs> spot where i can't really say anything no, i hear you um all right i have two questions 
for you that are not necessarily lightning round questions, but I just wanted to throw them at you because I thought they were uh, interesting. The way I talk, nothing is ever a quick lightning round. I know, round. I know. <laughs> so. uh, We've talked about all these different uh, concepts, all these different characters, all these things like that. Mm-hmm. What's a superhero that you loved, you feel like hasn't gotten proper representation in, in this new, like, pro-superhero media? Um, ooh. I'm trying to think. Who hasn't shown up? Because they, a lot of the ones that I've liked, surprisingly, have, have started showing up, yeah. whether it's in movies or in the television shows. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow, somebody decided to use that character. It's Because um, I, I was really into, let's say, the 1940s, Justice Society of Just America, the original yeah. Super Team, long yeah, before the yeah. Justice League. <laughs> Even those characters have started showing up on um, uh, on the CW show Star Girl. It's very much really? about uh, that's a show about huh. superhero legacy. So that the Justice Society showed up there. So I'm going to say um, Plastic Man. Plastic Man's a great. Plastic name. Man is is a fun, wacky uh, uh, character, like a living rubber band, who who I feel like they haven't really done anything with since his like late 70s cartoon series. He shows up occasionally on like some of the fringe Batman cartoons like okay. Brave and the Oh, Bold. Brave and the Bull. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yes, I forgot about that. Only time because I'm a I'm a big fan. I love Plastic Man and I never understood I don't think that superpower works in the medium. We're talking about mediums yeah. because I love the Fantastic 4. I love Ben Grimm. I love Reed Richards, but the, he doesn't work. It yeah. looks weird on it TV. It doesn't work. And and it's like, <laughs> you know, it would be great if they could find a way to make a Plastic Man movie work, but it would have to be done for it have to be a comedy. It'd be wild. Like, It'd be... It would be great <laughs> if you do it the right. You, you can't take it and be grim and gritty with it. You gotta. You just have fun. No, with it's it. almost. I mean, Ryan Reynolds could have done it instead of doing Deadpool. Deadpool yeah, right? exactly. That's, yeah, sort of in that same same vein. type of vein. Exactly. I mean, he's a guy who like could turn into a chair and somebody finds out they're sitting on him. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they would do with him. I know this is straightforward, but like, I really would like Marvel to come in and do. X Men and Fantastic Four, right? Like I've been; those were the products that when I I liked Captain America and Spider Man and Iron Man. But when I was a kid, that was I loved the Fantastic Four and I loved the X Men. And I think I, I I get a little bit like, look what they've done, look what they've massacred my boy. When I look at some of these X Men movies, so <laughs> well, do you remember how what how big it was when that first X Men movie came out? I remember going to see first that. Two I loved at the um the now the cinema that used to be in Clinton. Yeah. That's where I That's saw right. the first X-Men movie when it first came out. And I remember it was a big deal because it was before Spider-Man movies. We were we had had the Keaton yeah. we had been through the Keaton Kilmer Clooney Batman movies. I still love the Keaton and movies. and then it was like kind of a lull for a little while and then we had, you know, X-Men come out and it was even pre Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. It was a big deal at the time. I sort of forget what a big deal those Spider-Man movies were too. The second Spider-Man yes. movie, I feel like, is That's still to one. this day like one of the best superhero, like singular, not best superhero movies, but in terms of encompassing a comic book on screen. That was a great one. Spider-Man Two, the same Raimi one. Alfred is, Molina is uh, Doc Ock. I mean, it was yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was silly. I think it, it's sort of like Army of Darkness, as a matter of fact. The first mm-hmm. Spider-Man movie is good, but a little bleh. Yeah. The second one, it gets that right mix of like comic book action and comedy. Right before the third one the kind third of took it all down. And... <laughs> the third one really, which which is a shame because I, I you know it, it could have There was a time, a little tidbit here. I remember reading at the time before Spider-Man 3 came out, that there was discussion, or maybe it was just rumor, but it was it was in Magnus somewhere that there was talk of, of having Larry David cameo as the vulture in, in Spider-Man 3, <laughs> sort of like as an off joke, where like he would catch him. And I just thought, like, man, could you imagine that? How great it would be, like, Larry David and a bunch of feathers, you know? Uh, I Those movies were surprisingly good. I think that of all the characters that have really gotten 
the push to go for. They really need to get that Spider-Man back in house because that's the <laughs> character that people want to see. Exactly. Like, that's the yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, all right, lightning round questions sure. for you, Dave. These are some new-ish lightning Ooh. round questions since last time you've been on the show. Uh, all right, and let's start with this one. This is an easy one. What is the best trip or outing you remember going on as a kid, and mm. what made it great? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, you know, I, I can't think of a big one. We um, we went to Disney World once as a kid, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was a lot of fun. I was glad I was old enough to, to enjoy it. Yeah. I think sometimes um, there's always the knee-jerk uh, thing. It's like, okay, we got kids. We got to go to Disney. But I feel like I went when I was probably about... Oh, I was probably like adolescence at yeah. that point, which is good because times. you remember it, yeah. you know. Um, so th- that was a lot of fun. Or any trip to Enchanted Forest, honestly, as a kid, was a ball for me. The best. Uh, it's funny about Disney too. Is that, you know, I think it's really easy to be cynical when you talk about Disney yes. and the Disney parks. Mm-hmm. But I went when I was old enough to look around and appreciate the old man aesthetics of being like, "Boy, I'll tell you, it must take a lot to put this place <laughs> together. Look at all this grass; it's cut perfectly. <laughs> all the bri- like everything I, I am, here is so clean." No, it's true. <laughs> I, I was blown away by Disney. Simply, it's like you go to Enchanted. If you go to Six Flags Great Adventure, mm-hmm. roller coaster path. Park stand, maybe there's yeah. a show going on, maybe there's a vendor. Disney, the theming is mind-blowing. Every aspect of the park is part of the park. The grass, the stones, the shop fronts, everything. It's, yeah. it's mind-blowing. A lot of the stuff from when I went doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like, like I use like MGM Studios, <laughs> oh, like the big movie, man. all the stuff about the old 40s movies. As a kid, I loved that. that the great movie ride. Not there. Yeah, oh, that stuff's not there apparently anymore. I haven't, I haven't been back since since the my adolescence. Great movie ride was a little janky last time I went on it. Yeah. Was, it, was, it was getting old. I loved it, but it, it was getting janky. I think when the, when the kids are a little older, maybe we'll, we'll go. Uh, what's something that you considered a basic part of your current career that you struggled to learn? Ooh, um, stopping and listening. Hmm. I think that when I was younger, we talked about kind of like the ego of youth. Yeah. I feel like, and as somebody who inherently talks, I feel like talks too much. Um, I felt like 50 minutes. I always, uh, <laughs> I always felt the need to chime in or had to weigh yeah. in. And as I've gotten older... Even in the past, let's say nine, ten years. So it, I think it continually goes. So even from my my twenties to my thirties, my thirties to my forties, um, I've realized like you do not need to try and always be the smartest person in the room. You don't always need to have your say. Sometimes you can learn a lot more if you just shut up and you just listen to what other people have to say. And 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 that's something that I think was probably the best thing I ever learned. I struggled with that with my family. Because my family is much like me. We're all very verbose, right? So, especially when I'm around my family, that's one of the few times that I'm very not talkative. I'm like, <laughs> you guys just do your thing. I'm just going to chill in the background. But yeah, I think that's fair too. I I struggle with that with this show over the years and like talking with conversation. You know, a lot of the key is to let people get out of the way of people, right? And let them do Well, you do a good job thing. of that. I was saying before we started that like if we were to drop you into like an old-fashioned cocktail party, you <laughs> would do great with whomever you interacted with because you've got that personality. Problem is I'm secretly introverted, so I only have like a short time span where I'm like putting <laughs> it together. After a while, I'm like, I need to go home and sit quietly in, my, in the dark. Uh, all right. Uh, what fictional family would you like to belong to? Ooh. Um... The Hardy family from the Andy Hardy movies um, of the 30s, 40s. The the Hardy movies were like B movies out of MGM um, back in the 30s and 40s wartime. And they were sort of like this 
picturesque family well before like you know the cleavers on leave it to beaver yeah. and it was you know judge hardy was the the tried and true father who always had the right advice for his son andy and yeah. andy was played by <laughs> mickey rooney and uh you know always getting into some kind of young mickey rooney you know dealing with you know uh girls and driving and earning money or getting himself into financial yeah. trouble and scrapes um it, it's very much the it, it's it's not real 1930s, 40s America. Mm-hmm. It's very much the idyllic vision of like a studio head's yeah. idea of 30s, 40s America. But it's very sweet. It's very um, kind of nostalgic. And it's very much sort of like the, the Norman Rockwell paintings kind of come to life. Yeah. And so I would definitely say the Hardy family. I love it. I might as well get one up afterwards after we're done here. The Hardy. There's probably like uh, 16 different Hardy Well, you know what? Because I think I was like the professional wrestling Hardy, <laughs> like the Hardy uh, We are opening a Uticast deli. We are starting a sandwich board, the Dave Delachase sandwich. What would you like to be on the Dave Delachase sandwich board special? Toasted bread, mm-hmm. roast beef, mm-hmm. bacon, yep, cheese. I love it. Some mayo. Mayo. That's all. I like it. Straightforward. I dig it. <laughs> I dig it. Right up on the board. Give me a large Dave Delachase to go. Uh, and a heart attack on the side. And a heart attack on the side. Uh, all right. Give me. Uh, Give me one book, album, movie, or television show that you and your fam are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Uh, let's see. My wife and I just recently finished watching The Good Place, which I had never seen before. Oh, yeah. With Ted Danson and, and Kristen Bell. Great show. Lots of... Um, uh, it's funny. Very thought-provoking. Makes mm-hmm. you think about life and how you act in this life it, and the afterlife. I, I loved it. Um Book, I, I've been really into biographies lately, so I've been breezing through. Um, in the past few months, I finished um, a memoir by Michael J. Fox. Awesome. Um, kind of talking about his, his post, like about living with Parkinson's. Yeah. And I just finished um, a biography about Paul Lind. Uh, for those who remember <laughs> Hollywood Squares and Uncle Arthur and Bewitched. Um, and uh, I always enjoyed his, his uh, one-liners on Hollywood Squares and, and thought, you know, my, my wife had got it for me. Uh, Christmas time, saying, nice. and uh, it was it was very interesting. It was uh, uh, really cool to to learn more about him. Just talking about Paul Lind, I yeah. like the Talking Sopranos podcast. Really, because oh. Steve Sharepa used to be on Hollywood Squares all the time. Okay. So he has all these weird stories about Hollywood Squares. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, and last but not least, I'm going to paint this picture for you. Quick scenario: You, Dave Delachase, are the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion of the World. You walk onto the ramp. The crowd is chanting your name. Uh, the You walk down to the squared circle, the belt above your head. What song is playing in the background as you make your way into the squared circle? Europe's the final countdown. Europe's the final countdown. <laughs> classic, a classic song. Also the theme song of famed professional wrestler Brian Danielson. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, once you get outside of the World Wrestling Federation, like corporate wrestling, when I was a kid, this is how nerdy I was, we used to go to indie wrestling shows. Oh, okay. We'd go to like an indie wrestling show, like Hammerstein Ballroom or something New York City we used to go to. You know, 2,000, 3,000 people. No one's checking to see what they're coming. So people are just coming out with all sorts of licensed music. <laughs> you get some Machine, Metallica. It's yeah, pretty yeah. good. And I always think it's funny because I wish that real professional wrestling would embrace it a little more. Because they all live in like a bubble. It's like the only music these guys listen to is the music that some guy in the back wrote for them. It's like their particular theme song. <laughs> but there's one guy who comes out in wrestling right now. His name is Orange Cassidy. He's a wrestler in some fringe company. Not a fringe company. Like this, the number two company. 
And his biz, he comes out to the song Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. And I get hyped every single time because it's a real song. I'm like, this guy's cool that I gave him credit for because he I likes ju- the Pixies. I just, I, I, again, I'm not being somebody who's familiar with wrestling outside of like 19, like knowing who like Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Rowdy Piper and oh, those yeah. guys are. Hearing Orange Cassidy makes me think that, like, of like the Willy Wonka kids. So, like, like oh, here's Orange Cassidy, um, Mike TV, Violet Beauregard. And- I'm, I'm going to give you, I don't know how to, I can't believe I'm going to do this on the podcast, but. The Orange Cassidy gimmick is the best wrestling gimmick of the last 25 years. It's like a meta gimmick where he's not trying. He has his hands in his pockets. He moves really <laughs> slow. He wrestles sometimes with his hands in his pockets. Oh it gosh. sounds stupid. It's it's fucking wild. <laughs> I, 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 I swear to God, I'm going to have to show you a clip when we got here because I, I can't explain what makes it so weird and why people love it so much. It sounds like he should be doing it to like the Curb Your Enthusiasm music. It he's does have... around with his hands in his pockets. He comes out wearing like jeans and sunglasses and a jean jacket to a Pixie song and his whole celebration is a really lackadaisical thumbs up. Like, that'd be a good one. Just him being like... It sounds... That's, it's, it's so... See, you say that to me and it sounds like like Droopy. Remember Droopy the dog? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like like, like Droopy wrestling. <laughs> the kid, it's... I'm gonna, I swear to God, I have to show it to you before. Uh, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming and spending some time with us here. Thank Again, you, I don't know I what's it. going on with like COVID restrictions and in, in local. Who so knows where we'll be by this time this comes out? We'll, well, I'm just saying this might be another one of those scenarios for our listeners there where I thought, hey, people are coming back to the studio now, and we might be back to all Zoom after this again. So we'll see how it goes. Okay, thanks so much. Appreciate you, Thank folks. You so back much. to the show in just a moment. One of the best. Uh, I always know it's a good conversation with somebody when we get into something that I never expected to talk about during an interview. Like something that was never on my radar, was Mm -hmm. not something I expected to talk about. And this week's version of that was me explaining to Dave Delachase what Orange Cassidy was. Mm. (laughs) I'm not explaining it to you folks. You heard the interview. Uh, All right. So let's get to this week's history lessons. Uh, I have two real ones, and then we're going to do another year edition. On this day, 1936, Jesse Owens made uh, history by winning the long jump. Uh, Jesse Owens originally made his mark on the international stage at just 21 years old while an undergrad at Ohio State University by setting three world records and tying another at the Big Ten Championships. Uh, Owens' impressive performance caused a sensation across the United States, and the track star, uh, looked forward to following his progress at the upcoming 1936 Olympics, which taking place in Berlin. Uh, Owens would win his third gold medal and set his Olympic record uh, in the games in the 200 meters. Uh, he would follow that up by helping his team set a new world record in the 4 by 100 meter relay. On August 4th, he won gold in the long jump. Uh, by winning four gold medals, Owens firmly dispelled German Führer Adolf Hitler's notion of the superiority of his Aryan master race uh, for all the world to see. Uh, and you can watch those clips on British Pathé. I've seen it before. It's pretty fascinating. Mm. Uh, you know, it's interesting, though. I'm glad that sports have never been political. So I'm just going <laughs> to... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm glad that there's never been, like, any connection between sports and politics. Yeah, that's historic. a brand new thing that was invented by the governor it's... just last year. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah, go look at the Jesse Owens footage. It's out there on the YouTube if you go to British Path. It's there. It's, it's really fascinating to watch. Just, mm-hmm. like, really, what a time. 
All right, on this day, 1958, the Nautilus submarine traveled beneath the North Pole. Much larger than the diesel-electric diesel submarines that preceded it, the Nautilus submarine stretched 319 feet, dispelling 3,180 tons of water. Could remain submerged for almost unlimited periods because of its atomic engine, which needed no air and only a very small quantity of fuel. Uh, the submarine traveled at a depth of about 500 feet below the North Pole ice cap, above ice that was varying in thickness from 10 to 50 feet. Miss me with that, 100,000%. I was going to throw that out there. Uh, with the midnight sun of the Arctic shining varying degrees through the blue ice. At 11.15 on August 3rd, 1958, the Nautilus passed underneath the geographic North Pole without pausing for a moment, which is my favorite part about this story. They're like, guys, we made it. Let's fucking go. Gotta I'm out of here. This is stupid. This Turn is so around. dumb. Uh, Commander William R. Anderson announced to his crew for the world, our country, and the Navy the North Pole. I like how he did it like he was interviewing, like, like he was introducing a set. If there was anybody there besides the same old guys that had been stuck yeah. on this boat with him for months. It's yeah. like, ladies and gentlemen, it's like, no, yeah. man, we just, we gotta go. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Uh, all right, two days later, it ended its historic journey docking in Iceland. Uh, for his command during the historic uh, journey, President Dwight D. Eisenhower decorated Anderson with the Legion of Merit. After a career spanning 25 years and almost 500,000 miles steamed, the Nautilus was decommissioned on March 3rd, 1980, designated a National Historic Landmark in 1982. The world's first nuclear submarine went on exhibit in 1986 at the historic ship Submarine Force Museum in Groton, Connecticut. I think they actually take it out there to stud for other submarines, like a horse. I see. I mean, they just leave it out there to stud with the uh, the female submarines. That sounds like everything I know about submarine making. <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to go to the Submarine Force Museum in Groton, Connecticut, by the way. That's probably all right. Yeah, it'd be cool. I'm trying to see... I like. I went to the Air and Space Museum once, which is amazing. Just airplanes and rocket ships. Just I'm here all day for that. All right, let's get to this week's time warp. Uh, we're only going, we're not going back quite as far as we have in the past. So 2006 is our time warp today. 2006, a great year, if I remember correctly. Great year for me personally. Yeah, 2006, not bad. 2006, I'm trying to think. I would have been 20, turned 21, 21 coming up that the following January. Uh, so let's see, if you were here today on August 2nd, 2006, you're driving to the movies to go see the number one film in America... Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Uh, directed by Adam McKay, starring Will Ferrell. Uh, also starring John C. Riley, Sasha Baron Cohen, Gary Cole. Great cast. Amy Adams, Jane Lynch. The film grossed $47 million in its first week and was the number one film at the box office, the second largest opening for a film starring Will Ferrell behind Elf, which grossed $173 million. Uh, Talladega Nights grossed $148 million in the U.S. and a worldwide total of $163 million. Has an approval rating of 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the site says, although it occasionally stalls, Talladega Nights' mix of satire, clever gags, and excellent ensemble performances puts it squarely in the winner's circle. Kev, I have to tell you the truth, I've actually never seen this movie. Um, I saw it like once back then, and that was it. I haven't seen it yeah. in a while. It was... I got a shorter rope, I think, than a lot of people for Will Ferrell. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just never... I had seen it the one time, and it was good. And I'm sure if I sat down and watched it, I would laugh, because I really like Step Brothers. I really like John C. Riley. I like Will Ferrell in some stuff, but yeah, it's been a long time. His career is very interesting, because <laughs> Step Brothers, I feel like, for me, is the pinnacle of the Will Ferrell 
like character for me personally i think mm. that's the funniest version of him and him and john c Riley together is just dynamite right but that's a couple years after this like i feel like i thought talladega nights was yes. going to be the start of like oh this is going to be the downfall of feral like it was successful but like ah, this is a little silly because then you get blades of glory after that that was the start of the downfall and then semi-pro which i like i think semi-pro is funny and then stepbrothers and semi-pro are both the same year mm-hmm. then you get land of the lost other guys which i like any kind of Anchorman 2, 2013, Get Hard, which is okay. Mm. Zoolander 2, Daddy's Home. Let me get banking on that Daddy's Home movies, though. Uh, Holmes and Watson, which people decided they hated. I never saw it, to be honest, so I can't sit here and give it much of a one way or the other. I don't know. I think you're probably right, to be honest, though, because I think that he might have tapped out as a, at the being the top of his comedic career. Mm. I watched that Eurovision movie that came out last year. It's fine. You know what I mean? If you have a tolerance for Will Smith, do or, or, yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't. I don't like that silly. I don't. I'm not into it. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's fair because a lot. Of, a lot of it is just like him doing a funny voice and doing a, acting like a man child most of the time, and sometimes it works, but it feels kind of. I don't know. It feels like I've seen it. I've seen it. I you have seen I mean? it. Yeah. I'd like it's to see like that. the twelfth Rolling Stones album. It's like yeah, I get it, boys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, but what do we? Uh, so there you go. On the way to seeing Talladega Nights, you could turn on the radio and listen to the number one song in America, Promiscuous by Nelly Furtado, Yo. featuring Timberland. Timberland. Uh, released as the second single from her third studio album, 2006's Loose. The song was written by Furtado, Anthony Motts, Timberland, and Nate Danger Hills. Uh, lyrics features a conversation between a man and woman who call each other promiscuous. Mm. Uh, song was received well by music critics, with some calling it the highlight of the album as an international success and became Furtado's first number one single in the U.S. Uh, it was the first number one by a Canadian female artist since 1998's I'm Your Angel by R. Kelly and Celine Dion. What a mm. time. <laughs> uh, song chopped charts in New Zealand and peaked in the top ten on many other charts across Europe. It won Best Pop Single of the Year, 2006 Billboard Music Awards. Uh, received the nomination for Best Pop Collaboration with vocals at the 49th Grammy Awards, but lost to Tony Bennett and Stevie Wonder's rendition of For Once in My Life. Mm, terrible. No, you don't. Terrible. <laughs> oh, for once in my life, I feel good. I love Tony Bennett. Yeah, Promiscuous way. is better. A banger. A it's, song it's that... much better than, than the... T- I, I Listen, I get it. Tony Bennett, Stevie Wonder, whatever. No. A song that permeated 2006 in a way that I didn't really think about until I was reminded. I was like, man, until that song... Until you remembered the hook. I was like, damn, yeah, song you is... You remembered the hook. Heavy. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Did Nelly Furtado not peak the way that it felt like it was going to happen? If I remember correctly, and this is just going to be like half-recollected sure, from sure. You know, music magazines and blogs at the time, I think that her working with Timbaland was a swing for her to try to yeah. get out of that, like, Starbucks Artist of the Month bracket that existed back then that people like Korean Bailey Ray yeah. and Macy Gray and folks like that went into. And she tried to go for a pop thing, and it kind of worked, but I don't think it really, like, Not repeatable. stuck yeah. too hard. I think she continued to make music, though. I'm not sure. Well, the other track was, like, Like a Bird. That was before this. Yes? I am like a bird. Yeah, I know that song. Um, I think that's before this. I think this is a... A change in... I could be wrong here. I, I, no, I think you're right about that. I might have to go back and do my research. But that, Nelly Furtado. I, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm surprised there wasn't like a little bit more of a longer run somewhere. Like another hit, another I song. I think she was a little bit older than yeah. pop artists at yeah. the time. And if I'm not mistaken, I think she might have just sort of stepped away from the business to like start a family and do that kind of thing as well. Uh, and after a 
you get home from watching Talladega Nights and listening to Promiscuous by Nelly Furtado, you can settle in with the number one fiction book in America. And unfortunately, we're back on the train of a book I've never heard of and have no concept about. It's called Phantom, Sword of Truth, parentheses on parentheses, by Terry Goodkind. Can't be familiar with Phantom by Terry Goodkind. Uh, I'm not. Well, Phantom is the 10th book in the Terry Goodkind epic fantasy series, The Sword of Truth. Debuted number one in the New York Times and Publisher Weekly bestsellers list. Again, I don't have a lot of info about this, so I'm just going to read you one of the most convoluted plot summaries I've ever heard. And I'm just going to throw this out here now to make it easier. This is the continuation of a book called Chainfire, which is the name of a spell that was cast to make everyone forget things. Okay? Do we got that? Chainfire. Spell that makes you forget things. It's, yeah, yeah, whatever. All right. Phantom begins with Richard Rao searching for his wife, Kalan Amnel. Oh, God. Uh, who only he remembers. As the reader discovered, the spell used to make everyone forget was initiated by the Sisters of the Dark, working for the Keeper of the Underworld. Richard reveals that not only has the spell, but all magic, been corrupted due to the effects of chimes being in the world. Chimes? The effects of chimes being chimes being in the world. Due to this corruption, Kalan is not invisible to everyone, and Jagang uses that fact to continue to control her. Man, this sounds rough. I mean, I'm sure there's some context I'm missing. I think it's just the voice. <laughs> it's not very good. I can't focus on anything else. Yeah, it sounds terrible. I mean, again, I always feel tough ragging on, like, the tenth book in some series that I have no context for. But, like, I, this was the number one book in America? Phantom? Terry some, Goodkind? Yeah, sometimes specific stuff just comes out. The some book market isn't as dominated where it's just, like, there's <laughs> the Batman of books every year. You know what I mean? That's true. Stephen King, Batman of books. Mm. You heard it first. Uh, all right. Uh, instead of doing any real extra news here, we're just going to do one segment on the way out. Uh, a special R.I.P. section to famed television pitchman and inventor Ron Popeil, who um, passed away earlier this week at the age of 86. I don't know anything. I'm going to throw you right now. I don't know a damn thing about Ron Popeil personally. Don't know if he's a good guy or anything about him. What I do remember is endless hours of me watching infomercials on television as a kid with mm -hmm. him being the face of a couple prominent ones yeah, yeah. in particular. I'm sure he had tons of money, right? Like, I'm sure I'm going to look through here and see oh, if yeah, he's... Oh, yeah, sure I'm sure he was a uh, Made tons of money. Uh, I have a list here of the top 11 items sold by Ron Popeil over his career. I'm just going to blast right through. Number one, the Vegomatic, which was an automatic food slicer. Mm -hmm. uh, this was essentially the first item that he pitched with his father, and that became, like, his jumping-off point. Number two, the pocket fisherman. I actually don't remember this. I assume what, like a travel fisherman thing? Travel travel fishing reel? Makes sense. Number three, Mr. Microphone, launched in 1978, was a low-powered MF modulator that turned your radio into a karaoke machine. I bet you that was real janky. Mm. <laughs> I feel like that probably didn't work, right? Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, helped sell more than a million, though. $20 a pop. Uh, number four, the smokeless ashtray, which was a small device that promised to suck up the smoke coming from cigars and cigarettes before it filtered into your room. This is from the 1970s, obviously. Mm. Uh, number five, the Inside the Egg Egg Scrambler. Yeah. Uh, this was a bent pin that pierced an eggshell and rotated inside to create perfectly scrambled eggs and yolk-free, hard-boiled eggs 
Uh, only about 150,000 of these sold. Not a big hit for Ron. Not 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 his biggest hit. Not paying all the bills. Number six, the Dialomatic Food Slicer, which was just an update of the Vegomatic, and I feel like was thrown in as one of those things when you were watching the infomercials. Like, but if you call now, you can also get the Dialomatic Slicer. It's like, <laughs> you, wait, what? No. Uh, number seven, the Automatic Pasta Maker. Now we're getting into the stuff that I remember the infomercials for and love. Go watch the Automatic Pasta Maker Ronco infomercial. It is comedy gold gadget allows you to make 12 different types of homemade pasta i remember this specifically because they made chocolate pasta and i thought as a child that that was an affront to italy <laughs> i was just like this is a this is a crime and that's who's supposed to like it if the kid doesn't like it nobody's gonna like the chocolate, the chocolate pasta, pasta. I was like, this yeah. is a, this is a scam uh this however sold again more than one million people purchased the automatic pasta maker for a hundred and sixty dollars dear god um all right number eight I think this is probably the, the jumping off point for most people with Ron Popeil. GLH, great looking hair formula, number nine hair system. This was a spray that you could spray on your head and you could say, look, I have hair and it covered bald hmm. spots. It was spray paint, was it not? I can't. Basically, it, like textured spray paint. It's well, like, you know, a textured, like rock-like looking yeah. spray paint you get to spray garden things? Yeah. It's basically that. Oh, my God. Uh, more than a million cans sold for only $10 for the spray or $20 for the spray, shampoo, and finishing shield in case you really were taking it to the next level. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to hit you with these last three, which I think are the three big ones, right? Number nine, the Showtime Rotisserie Barbecue Oven and Grill. Set it and forget it. Set it and forget it. Uh, easily the most successful item that they ever pitched. He sold 7 million units in three different models, ranging from 100 to $200. Uh, set and forget it was repeated so many times it's impossible to forget, as Kevin has mentioned. This also came with another device, the solid flavor injector. Uh, injector. Do you remember this? I do, yeah, yeah. It was a needle injector that you could put like cloves and garlic in and just jam it into your roast. It was a real unsettling <laughs> to watch, but... Not a terrible idea. Like, I, it makes sense. I get it. And then number 10, I think this is the quintessential uh, Ron Popeil invention for me. The electric food dehydrator introduced in 1965, the most famous food dehydrator in the world. Uh, this device was so successful that it brought Popeil back out of semi-retirement in the 80s. This was how successful the food dehydrator became. Hmm. I think this is the one that I remember the most. This is the thing that I remember watching in the morning with my old man. He liked the food dehydrator. I think we had one of these. I definitely remember the grill, the rotating. The is that the one that you go to? That's, yeah. the, that's the one that I remember this guy from, like when his name comes up. Remind me later. I'm going to put up a poll on the YouTube on on Twitter to see what people, which of these devices is the most recognizable for people. I'm going to say food dehydrator, rotisserie grill, uh, the hair the hairspray, and the pasta maker. Maybe those are the four you go mm. with. I feel like there's something else that he had that I'm not remembering. This guy, he was all over the TV. All over what the TV. What a weird, what a weird world TV infomercials are. Like, what I a mean, strange... Who are the famous infomercial people now? It's Popeil. It used to be Billy... Billy Mays. Billy Mays. Passed away, yeah. R.I.P. Billy Mays. Shout out. Uh, that scummy ShamWow guy before he got locked up for being mm -hmm. a creep. Right? Was he creep? I forget what his deal was, but he did something I think, wrong. Yeah, I think he's like beat. So I think he beat somebody up. Beat, yeah. beat up a lady, though. I think. I think the Shamal works, by the way, if I remember correctly. I think it yeah, was, it's, it's just, pretty, it's, just a, it, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, this is just like regular chamois cloth. <laughs> We're just gonna sell it. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, this whole section for Ron Popeil. I'll put up a poll later on, but I think for me, I'll always remember the food dehydrator. I think the Showtime Grill will probably win, though, mm. if I'm guessing. That one feels like it hit the most people. Yeah, that feels sense. like an actual device, though. I used to see it in stores. You could buy it anywhere. You buy, like, Sears if that was still... Well, when Sears was still a thing. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, no mailbag question this week. Uh, so we'll just do... I have an extended kind of rant on a couple of these things on our playlist. So, Kev, is there any songs you want to highlight from this week's Spotify playlists? Uh, yeah, certainly. I will take... I'll take two. Uh, take two? Grand Tradition. We're going to take a look at them and see what they are. Uh, one of them is a song I promise, a song called Change by Nash Rob. You know mm-hmm. Nash from the old name? Yep. So he just put out an EP, um, and I saw that he oh, released nice. that. I was listening to it. He had uh, Seth Nathan produce it out there at his little studio, which sounds really good. Um, some really good songs on it. This song, Change, I liked a lot. I thought he did a great job, so hmm. I'd like to show somebody local if you can. Um, and then I also put on the song uh, The Dark of the Matinee by Franz Ferdinand, because I was reading an article. It's getting close to like mm-hmm. an anniversary of that. They have a new album out. I was thinking about how much yeah. I liked that first album when it came out, and I never really heard anybody use guitars in that way with that kind of yeah. music. It was definitely one of those first early like dance rock bands I started listening to. But then as I got older and grew, I started listening to bands that were you know influential, Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, but they were one of the first bands where I was like, oh, you can take this guitar and make you know dance music with it. So that kind of just metal or punk or rock or whatever. Kind of falls into some of the stuff I was talking. I'm going to be talking about in just a minute. You know, like there's bands that sometimes you forget that you like. Do you mean, oh like, yeah, for sure. You hear a track, and you're like, oh, you know what? I forgot how much I love this song. And I think that, that Franz Ferdinand does that a lot for me. Like, I like, I still like the track Ulysses. That's a good track. Mm-hmm. It still hits. Uh, I'm gonna actually highlight one of your songs really quickly. You know how like the song "Always Love" by Not a Surf? Uh, no. Because to this day, I was a bad friend years ago, and I borrowed this CD from Kevin, and I ruined it. Got mm. ruined in the back of my car. I think really? I stepped, oh, destroyed. Oh man, destroyed that CD. And I felt like a bad friend for years. So every time I hear this song, I'm like, oh, I really just, I still owe you a copy of. A CD copy of uh, whatever Not A Surf album this was uh, that Always Love is on. Uh, all right, so I'm just going to hit a couple things real quick here. Uh, it makes me sad that Van Morrison's like a dick now because I love the song Glad Tidings. I put mm. it on here anyway, but it's a real shame. There's a new semi-sonic EP that came out six months ago that I was oh, unfamiliar with that came out. Uh, and I have to tell you, I listened to it, and it's not good. It's not very good. Mm, not what you want to see. Uh, I did put the best of the bunch on the mix this week, but I'm going to highlight two songs in particular for the same reasons, which I just mentioned. I heard these songs this week, and it took me back to, like, a different time. I forgot how much I loved these particular songs. Number one being Love Boat Captain by mm. Pearl Jam. Is Riot, is Riot Act the name of that album? Riot, uh, Riot Act is the name Riot. of that album, yeah. Is it an underrated Pearl Jam album? Riot Act? Did we not sure. Do? Yeah. I mean, I like Riot Act, but most people, yeah, yeah, Riot Act didn't, like, do anything for them. It was past their point of commercial, yeah. like, success or relevance. And the other one is a song called Strange Overtones by David Byrne. And this happened, it popped up on a recommendation for me. I'm like, I know this song. Why, like, do I know this song? And I put it on, and I was like, oh, I immediately know this song. How did I ever forget that I knew this song? Like, this song, I beat this song to death for years mm. and I just it just totally vanished from my memory for like months and months and months and months however years right mm. and then this week I just accidentally rediscovered it and I was like oh yeah I forgot how much I love Strange Overtones this is a banger you know why because it's not it's just a David Byrne song it's not a Talking Heads song mm. it doesn't show up on like the Talking Heads compilations it's not on like any of the David Byrne St. Vincent you gotta comp- go looking you gotta go looking for it right yeah, I, yeah. I just sort of forgot about it that's so. it's amazing about Spotify man. you can get digging yeah. in so goddamn yeah. deep uh, that's it. Uh, Heather would probably have been back this week, but I wanted to record early because I'm in a celebratory mood. So yeah, she'll, she'll certainly be back next week, I think, if that's the, unless mm-hmm. I hear a different. Shout out again to Dave Delachase for joining us this week. Uh, that's it. You can follow everybody on Twitter or you can just follow the show at Uticast. We are on Twitter. 
Facebook, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, take it over the web. Sayonara, humanoids, keep it tight. Woodstock lives, my hearing is back. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately, desperately out of time, and we will see you next week for another episode of the Uticast. Stay safe out there, folks. Oh, yes. Oh,